Anyway, we better get into this. Acts chapter 24 is where we are at. And the, uh, remember, this story basically begins in chapter 21 when Paul goes to Jerusalem, right, gets started uh, because certain Jews from Asia recognize him and they, they spotted him. They knew who he was and they started throwing a big fit, got everybody in an uproar. And then in chapter 22, he is allowed by the Romans to speak to the mob that was trying to uh, that tried to kill him. He was basically his life was saved by the Romans. Um, and then in chapter 23, we looked at last week. He's standing before a council of Jews who were accusing him to the Romans. And when the Romans realized that they were not interested in getting justice, but in getting vengeance, they decided to take Paul to Herod's judgment hall and um, basically just move it up to higher court. Everyone was afraid to stand up to the Jews. And one of the reasons for that was because of the instability in that area during that time. And we're going to see more evidence of that here in chapter 24. And understand, we are not far away at all from the big Jewish-Roman war that the Bible does not talk about, but history tells us about. And it's just a reminder, when you think about how close they were to that, I mean, we're roughly only six years or so away from that. Um, so that shows you right there that things were very tense during this time. So uh, if you have leadership that's cowards, which is typically the kind of leadership they had. Rome, uh, we were talking about this before church, but an interesting study in the Bible, an interesting study in history, where history definitely lines up with the Bible, is when you look at the, these governors and people that Rome would put over the different regions, like Israel, it's very clear they just wanted puppets there. They needed somebody to be in charge, but they would. They made sure they got people that they knew were under their thumb. And so if you're going to be under somebody's thumb, you know, typically you're a coward and you're a weakling. If you're too strong, then you might end up leading the people against Rome. And so they did. They got, you know, just spineless type people in. And we're going to see uh, some examples of that tonight. And history backs all that up. The leaders that they had were always just some of the most horrible, wicked people. I mean, Herod the Great, I mean, he's the one that ordered all the male children to be killed. I mean, what kind of barbaric, you know, hideous fiend does something like that? That's exactly what he did. And uh, the family of Herod, they, there was so much wickedness in that family. Uh, and it is, it's, it's interesting to see what history has to say about him. But in chapter 24, uh, we see it says, And after five days, Ananias, the high priest, descended with the elders and with a certain orator named Tertullius, who informed the governor against Paul. And when he was called forth, Tertullius began to accuse him, saying, Seeing that we, by thee, we enjoy great quietness, and that very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence, we accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness, notwithstanding that I be not further tedious unto thee, I pray that thou wouldst hear us of thy clemency a few words. And I can just picture this guy here just standing there all pompous, all arrogant, all eloquent. Because before, the Jews were acting like a crazy mop. Because that's who they really were. But the problem was it got out. It got out this conspiracy that uh, a Jewish conspiracy, literally, as we see that in the Bible, where they get together and they decide we're not eating anything until Paul's dead. 
And so they, once they heard that, they knew, all right, these people aren't going to be fair. They're not going to be honest. So that's why they go to this court. So now the Jews, they've had time to you know, calm down a little bit. And so like this time, let's go in with a better plan. And so let's send an order in. Let's send a guy who's not going to be foaming at the mouth like, uh, like the rest of us have been. And let's let him speak on our behalf. And so sure enough, that's what he does. And you know what he does? He ends up just kind of throwing some flattery at Felix. We have all this peace because of you, Felix. You know, you're a fantastic governor. You're doing all these wonderful things, even though you know the Jews hated his guts. You know, they, hate, they hated all of these people that were over them. They resented the fact that the Romans were over them. They, they absolutely hated their guts. But he's pouring it on really thick right here. And because he's got, he's going to make some accusations against Paul. So he continues and says, for we have found this man, a pestilent fellow, a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. And right here's a reminder that even the unbelieving Jews, they still saw the church in Jerusalem as fellow Jews, just another sect like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So they refer to him as the sect of the Nazarenes because you know, you had Jesus of Nazareth and because these, these particular Jews were followers of Christ, uh, you know, they, they kind of gave them that title or whatever. But the thing is, the Jews were, they were still hanging around the temple. They were still participating in the feast. They were still giving the offerings. They're still doing all these things. Nobody had read Clarence Larkin's book on dispensational truth. Nobody had been taught that they had, you know, that Jesus started a new church. They still thought they were Jews. And you know what we're going to see here? Paul still thought he was a Jew too. Paul still thought he was following the Old Testament. And you know what? The truth is, Paul was. Hey, we're, we're going we're to see that very clearly here. And so in verse 6, talk, uh, the, Tertullius is still talking, who also hath gone about to profane the temple whom we took and would have judged according to our law. Now, this accusation was completely false because Paul didn't have any Gentiles with him. But remember, that's what the people of Asia, when they saw him, they, you know, because Paul was always traveling with those Gentiles and the Jews had a problem with that. He's way too close to these Gentiles. They just assumed that Paul probably uh, brought a Gentile in. And the thing is, too, we know that the churches in all these other places had Jews and Gentiles worshiping together. So you can kind of understand why when they see Paul worshiping in the temple, that he would include his Gentile buddies too. But he didn't in this because Paul was really bending over backwards trying to not offend the Jews so he could win them. I personally think he went, I personally think he went too far and it definitely didn't do any good. It didn't accomplish anything. But again, this shows us too, this church in Jerusalem was not doing things right. When they are excluding Gentiles, then you know something's wrong. As a church, if we have to start excluding other saved brothers, we're doing something wrong. Okay? If we start you know, racially segregating our church, we're doing something wrong. Okay? And I personally think the only reason there is for segregation in church is for language purposes. That'd be the only reason I would, I would ever do that because, you know, if somebody can't understand what I'm saying, you know, they'd probably be better off, uh, you know, if, if we had like a Spanish ministry, 
you know, going into the Spanish service or something like that. But that's the only reason, because we're all part of the same church. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And so that would be the only reason. They're not going to be edified at hearing preaching. They can't understand. But in verse 7, so he goes on, and, he, and notice what he said, too. He says, we would have judged him according to our law. So in other words, we were about to do things according to our law, but then, you know, we got to deal with this pesky Romans, you know, and you guys stepped in and it says, but the chief captain Lysias came upon us and with great violence took him away out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come unto thee by examining of whom thyself mayest take knowledge of all these things whereof we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, saying that these things were so. And so, one thing that we don't fully understand, and it's going to be difficult for us to fully understand, uh, just because the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about this, it says a little bit, and we didn't live in these days, but it does appear that the Jews were allowed, to a certain extent, to enforce certain things according to their laws. I mean, because we do have that story in John uh, where it talks about how they weren't allowed to put anybody to death. But in other areas, you know, we see them always ready to stone people. There were several times they tried killing people. Um, and then, two, when they originally brought Jesus to, I think it was Herod or Pilate, one of them, they said, just judge him according to your law. And then that's when they brought up, you know, we can't put anybody to death. So the thing is, they were allowed to a certain extent to do things according to the law and enforce some of those, uh, you know, moral laws and civil laws, but there was obviously limits. So how far they're able to go, it is kind of hard to tell. And it seems like when it came to death, uh, they weren't supposed to go that far. And so, um, you know, the fact that they're having a court case about this just shows it probably wasn't clear back then too. Because we have the same kind of problem today. Whenever certain people come in and try enforcing certain things, you know, a lot of times that gets fought legally because, like, were they even allowed to do that? We had that a couple of years ago when the government's coming in and telling churches what to do. Churches fought it, and then what they have to do? They had to go to court, and they had to actually check the laws. Hey, are they even allowed to do this? So you, you, they had the same kind of problems back then. You kind of had Israel trying to be their own nation, follow their own laws, but then you also had Rome that was over them, and so there was conflict but they would let them do things to a certain extent and so uh it's one of those things too it's like all right in america we have religious freedom so should we allow muslims in the country and it's like well you know here's the thing if we're going to do it you know i think it's okay for us to allow because you can't enforce christianity you can't force people to be saved you understand that but you know what we could do and what we should have done is we can you know just let people know you know, fine, you don't have to be saved. You don't have to necessarily go to church because we can't make you get saved. But, you know, you do have to follow our Christian laws. And so if you have some crazy religious practices, you know, if you are uh, practicing witchcraft, uh, you're not allowed to do that here. If your religion, if your religion sacrifices children, you're not allowed, you know, you're not allowed to do that kind of thing here. You know, if your religion, whatever, you know, whatever crazy thing, they're doing in these uh some of these other religions you know we can enforce our bible-based laws so that's kind of how i think it should be done but even if we had that there would there be all kinds of situations where you know when the muslim's beating his wife 
you know, we'd have to step in and it's like, well, you know, in our religion, we're allowed to beat our wife. Well, you know, in America, we don't think you ought to beat your wife. <laughs> you know, and so we would have we would have those kind of battles. We have to figure those things out. But either way, uh, we still have some of that today, too, where uh, when it comes to a church, you know, while, uh, you know, like what would happen if, you know, all of a sudden I just decided, you know what, I'm pocketing all the cash. You know what, I'm giving myself a raise, you know, and I'm, I'm taking it all. And you all didn't like it, and you all wanted to stop it. And then I'm just like, you know what, you all can get out. I'm like, well, we don't want to get out. You know, we've given this church, we've invested in this church. Uh, you need to get out, you know. And then, you know, the truth is, as a church, we ought to be able to figure out what to do. You know, as a church, we ought to be able to figure out, all right, who's actually getting thrown out? The pastor that's stealing money or his, you know, minion church members who have absolutely no say or power or anything and just have to let him abuse them. You know, we, we ought to be able to figure that kind of thing out. But the truth is, if we didn't, you know what? Eventually, if it becomes a big enough thing where there's like literally showdowns here, you know, where like I'm refusing to leave or you're refusing to leave or whatever, and it starts getting violent, eventually the Romans might come in and get involved. You know, and eventually a judge might come in. It's like, all right, yeah, you're not allowed to do that. And then, you know, they're going to have to figure all that out. And it gets complicated. And let me tell you, it's a shame any time the government has to get involved in church matters because the people in the church act like animals and can't figure things out. But sometimes it's necessary. And honestly, if I did start doing that, I think you all should fire me. And if I refuse to leave, I would call the cops on me. And you know what? Just so you all know, show them our Constitution and bylaws. I can't do all that stuff. And you know what? A judge would side with you guys. Okay, I'm telling you all right now before I get tempted to do any of that stuff. So uh, just, just in case it ever happens, I would, I would lose in court if, if I did something like that. But anyway, hopefully it will never come to that. If it does, it'll be with the next pastor. No, I won't do that. I promise. <laughs> but anyway, um, so... You know, these, these legal things are all very complicated. And so it says in verse 10, Then Paul, after that the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, answered, For as much as I know, thou hast been of many years a judge unto this nation. I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. So Paul's speaking to the governor. And it says, Because thou, that thou mayest understand that there are yet but twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem for to worship. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogue, nor in the city. And that was completely true. He was there worshiping. He was doing this purification process that took several days or whatever. He's just bringing an offering. He's quiet. He's not talking. He's not doing anything. He just gets spotted by some guys who knew who he was and didn't like him. He was, in reality, he was, he was bending over backwards trying to make the Jews happy when this riot started. And it says in verse 13, it says, Neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me. And let me tell you something. I know this is America. I know this is the day and age of social media. Okay? I know this is the day and age of the fake news media, CNN, Facebook, all that stuff. But let me tell you something. Accusations without proof are nothing. Okay? In America, we used to be innocent until proven guilty. Today, people get ruined all the time by accusations. All the time, people get, get, they get ruined by lynch mobs. Like the Jews. They were, they were a lynch mob right here, literally just freaking out, phoning them out, 
just trying to kill Paul. No evidence he had done anything wrong. He had not brought a Gentile into the temple. You know, he, he wasn't arguing with anybody. Nothing's going on, but a whole mob of people are ready to kill him. And then here he is. He's, he's on trial. There's no proof. They're just, all they're doing is throwing accusations. No proof. Absolutely nothing. And you know what? That, that's a shame when that kind of thing is allowed to happen. And we see that happen all the time. People's names get smeared all the time. It goes on in the political world. It goes on in the preacher world. We've got, you know, you've got groups out there today that pretty much just try to stir things up against Baptist preachers and make up lies. There's websites out there devoted to these things. It's absolutely ridiculous and it's wicked and it's sad that a big portion of our country is so, they're so lawless. They're so clueless about morals, about just legal issues that they go along with that kind of stuff. And it really is a shame. And you know, I complain about our court system all the time. But you know, the truth is, you know, I do think it should be easier for people to get sued and stuff for, you know, defamation of character and things like that. But the problem is, you know, it's the court system takes so long to do everything when it comes to that. So it's like not even worth it anymore. But it is. It's just, you know, I mean, I think about just some of the junk I've dealt with, you know, just from the homos and everything. It's like, you know what? I should be allowed to sue them for some of the stuff they put out there about me. But at the same time, it's like, I don't want to deal with the process, you know, because it's such an absolute, it's an absolute nightmare. But, you know, and the thing is, even if I did, I'd probably lose because, I'd probably get a homo judge or something. And, and, you know, and again, I don't trust the judges in our land. They're horrible. They're making con- constantly making horrible decisions. It's an absolute shame. And, you know, we are, our country is turning into mob rule. It's a mob rule world. And you know what they, you know what they call that? Democracy. You know, that's what, pretty much what it is, which America is not a democracy. But people think it is. They think they believe in mob rule. And mob rule is always wicked. We're not supposed to follow a multitude to do evil. Uh, we're not just supposed to side with the masses. That's wrong. We're supposed to side with what is right. And that's why we have laws. And it's pretty sad that the Romans had, they were more governed by laws than the Jews were. I mean, the, in, in this story, the Romans are pretty pathetic, but they're way better than the Jews. And that's what, that just shows just how bad this nation was at that time. And so they're accusing these Paul of all these things. And I love what Paul does right here. And I love this next verse. This is where I, I titled the sermon. Because the Apostle Paul, he's got nothing to fear. Okay? Honest people, they, you know, they're not afraid of the truth. They're not afraid of putting it out there. I mean, you know, he's, he's, he's ready to go. He's there to testify And notice what he says, because what he does, Paul lays out exactly where the real disagreement is. Dishonest people never do that, okay? Even if you're having a theological debate, which is what this is really about. When you're having a theological debate, what do people always want to do? They always want to accuse you of something completely different. You know, if you don't think that the Jews are the greatest, you think God broke his promise to Israel, okay? You're dishonest, okay? That's dishonest. No, here's where we disagree. 
We disagree on how God is going to keep his promise to Israel. Let's actually talk about that. But they don't want to talk about that because if we have that conversation, guess who's going to win? We are. Same thing too. You know, if you believe that the rapture is after the tribulation, you believe Jesus is a wife beater. No, I don't believe Jesus is a wife beater. But they, they throw those crazy accusations out and they don't talk about where the real issue is. But the Apostle Paul, he's not messing around. He just lays it out. Hey, here's exactly where we disagree. And he says, but this I confess unto thee. There's a reason the Jews don't like me. There's a reason that they're so upset right now. I'm just going to tell you what it is. That after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets. Notice what Paul said there. He, he didn't get up there and say, listen, this is what I follow, my epistles that I wrote. Like if anybody should have been a Pauline guy, it would be the Apostle Paul, right? But no, he said, you know how I worship? He said, the way I worship, they call it heresy, but I'm actually following what's in the law and the prophets. The book that they hold up as their authority that they claim to be following, I'm actually doing it. If we actually go and check the scriptures, I'm the one that's actually doing things right. And he's just letting them know, you know what we have going on here? We've got a theological difference. Okay? This is not a matter where we should be putting somebody to death. We've got a theological difference here. That's where the argument is. And, and so Paul still believed he was following the Old Testament. Paul didn't see it as thrown out. Paul didn't see it as for a different dispensation. Paul said, what I am doing is following all of the law and the prophets. Paul still thought he was a Jew. And he was. And, he, and so he's... And basically what he said, to the, said right here is the same thing Jesus said in John chapter 5 and verse 45 where he says, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. What does that mean? In other words, the reason Moses is accusing them is because they are violating Moses. They are violating the law. If we go and we actually take the law and we compare your works, guess what? You're in violation. And Moses is accusing you before the Father. And then he says, For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? So Jesus told the Jews, you don't even believe Moses' writings. And you know what? They didn't. The Jews had their own traditions. The Jews had, compl these, they had completely hijacked the religion. They had hijacked the things of God. They had hijacked the temple and, on all, and the things of the temple. And they completely were in 100% rebellion against God. And it peaked at the time when they went and literally took the Son of God and they killed him. That is, that is exactly what they did. And so Paul's saying the same thing. You know, he's like, you know, both of us claim to be followers of the law, of the Old Testament, of, the, of Moses and the prophets. And he said, but you know what? I'm the one that actually believes them. I'm the one that's actually following them. And that is exactly lines up with what Jesus said. So in verse 15, he says, and have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. 
And you know, and I love what he said there. He's like, I just want to have a conscience void of offense towards God and man. You know what? No, and this is, again, you got some people out there, they freak out at the idea of religious freedom, but nobody should force you to go against your conscience and your worship of God. And you know what? I, who, who cares if you're doing the right thing, if you're being forced to do it? The Apostle Paul, he wanted to worship God in a pure conscience. He wanted to know that the things that he was doing, it was what the Bible taught. It was what he believed with his heart. And so he did. I'm going to do these things void of a, uh, you know, with, with a pure conscience. And he's like, I'm just following the Bible exactly as it's written. I'm not just following another sect of the Nazarenes. Okay? And you know what? I don't do the things that I do just because I'm a fundamental Baptist. If, listen, if I just taught things because I was a fundamental Baptist, you know what I'd be teaching? Free trip. You know what I'd be doing? Waving an Israeli flag around. Listen, if I was trying to pre- please the IFB, okay, that's exactly what I would do. That's what you're supposed to do. But you know what? At Liberty Baptist Church, we want to have liberty to be able to serve God with a pure conscience. And you know what? I couldn't do that with a pure conscience. I could, there's, there's no way I could do that. I, could, I, I, never, I was never able to preach Matthew 24 back in the day with a pure conscience. I just, and it wasn't that I knew the truth. I just, I knew something was wrong with, you know, what I, what I was saying. I just didn't really know where the problem was, but you know what? It feels good when you can preach and when you can worship and when you can practice in a pure conscience. And you know what? You can't force that in anybody. I don't care how right we say we are. I don't care how loud we scream it. We can't force people to be fundamental Baptists like us. We have to convince them and you know what i thank god we live in a country where we're actually able to do that and i think that's good and let me tell you something if i went and i took over a land and i started a country you know we'd have religious freedom get over it and i I believe that would be right and we do a lot of stuff like like we used to do in this country but we would we would definitely do that and it's like you know fine you can be whatever you want to be as long as you don't violate our laws if your religion teaches you to be a sodomite that ain't going to work out too well. Okay? So keep, you know, keep all those things in mind. But it says in verse 17, Now after many years I came to bring my alms to my nation and offerings, whereupon certain Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with multitude or with tumult, who ought to have been here before thee and object if they had aught against me. And remember, it was the Jews from Asia that started this whole mess, and they're not even there. It, right, that's grounds right there where they should have thrown the case out. It's like your accusers aren't even here. The ones who said they're not even here. It's kind of like if you go to court when you get a ticket and the cops not there. A lot of times the judge will throw it out. You know what's the point if you don't have an accuser there? And you know what a shame this is. And it's amazing too how many people are out there in the online world just accusing people. You know, and they'll, I mean, we've seen it before in just on, on social media. You'll just see these groups where they are just roasting somebody. I mean, they are just nailing somebody for the worst things, talking about preachers like they're adulterers and things like that. And this is like, any of y'all witnessed this? You know, where are the witnesses? They're not there. But let me tell you, in that court of public opinion, witnesses aren't necessary. You know? Well, you know, I know this person that knows this person that knows the one who witnessed it. Well, you know, let's hear from them. 
You know, where are they at? Why don't, why, why don't we hear what they have to say? You know, it's very important that, you know, the accusers are actually there, but they weren't. And it says, or else let these same here say, if they have found any evil doing in me while I stood before the council, except it be for this one voice that I cried standing among them, touching the resurrection of the dead, I am called in question by you this day. He's like, even that council that I stood before, they don't have anything to accuse me of. And the only reason I'm here is because I brought up the resurrection of, de- of the dead. That's why I'm here. And so, um, you know, in his bringing up the resurrection of the dead, made the Jews start foaming at the mouth. Made them completely lose it because of the big fight they had between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so now watch this in verse 22. Because this story is really a sad story, but at the same time, it's, it's sad and it's not sad. And I'll I'll tell you why as we go through this. In verse 22, it says, And when Felix heard these things, Felix is the governor uh, in in that region, says, Having more perfect knowledge of that way, he deferred them and said, When Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. Now, this is a good thing, too, because remember, there's that conspiracy of men that aren't doing any eating until Paul's dead. And so now the trial gets delayed. And... The Bible doesn't tell us what happened to those guys. I hope they all starved to death. But chances are they probably did. Chances are they probably went and just, you know, found a way out of it and just went ahead and ate anyway. Because Paul, uh, he, we're going to see another two years just in this chapter. And so it would appear, though, that Felix, when Paul brings up the resurrection in front of him, it catches his interest. Felix is interested in the, in the resurrection and it says that he, um, uh, in verse 22, he said, I will know the uttermost of your matter. I want to know the end of this. And he said, it mentioned too, having more perfect knowledge. And in verse 23, it says, and he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and that he should forbid none of his acquaintance to minister or come unto him. So even while, so he's going to keep Paul in custody, but he's also going to treat him good too. You know, we're not just going to lock him up. If he needs anything, people can come. They can minister to him. They can take care of him. They can bring him food or whatever. But we're going to keep him here until Lysias can show up and give his side of things. So he's kind of using this, I think, to delay things because he wants to talk to Paul because he's interested in the resurrection. Now, don't you love it when you go and you knock on somebody's door and they're interested in salvation, they're interested in things of God? I mean, usually it's like, oh, man, you've been wanting to know about this. All right, this person's probably going to get saved, right? So you'd think Felix is probably going to get saved. And so it says in verse 24, And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. So this is probably where he's gotten his knowledge or his interest in the resurrection. His wife is a Jewess. And so she's probably told him stuff. I don't believe that she's like an actual saved believer. She's just a Jewess. And so they're, you know, they're interested in these things. They want to hear about this faith in Christ. And Felix, you know, he is, he's a Roman governor of that region. And, you know, because he's married to a Jewess, he knows something about their beliefs. And I, do, I think he was excited for an opportunity to talk with somebody like Paul. Because you know what? Most Jews wouldn't talk to him. Most Jews would not be interested in teaching him the ways of God because they, you know, they hated the Romans. And so, but the apostle Paul, he has no problem with, he, he wants everybody to get saved. 
That's his attitude. And it says, and he, and so let's listen to this. And he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. So Paul preached to Felix to where he was literally trembling. I mean, he, he's under some like serious camp meeting type conviction right here. But you know what he does? He sends him away and I like, I'll call for you in a more convenient season. I'm hearing what you're saying and I'm scared to death right now, but it's not going to be good if I become a follower of Christ right now. You know, he's a governor in Rome. You've got the Jews who already hate me. Can you imagine what the Jews would have done if they'd have been like, guess what? Not only am I letting Paul go, but I'm joining them. Can you imagine what the Jews would have done then? I mean, things were already bad enough as it was. So, I mean, yeah, this was a really bad spot for Felix to be in. But you know what? Guess what? He, guess where he's been for the last 2,000 years now. Uh, yeah, he would have had a rough, you know, two months, two years, whatever. But at the same time, he's had a rough 2,000 years now as a result of this. And so it says in verse 26, because again, here, here's what you got to understand about wicked people. You know, they can acknowledge that something is the truth, but that's where repentance comes in too, where a lot of times they have other things that they're trying to hang on to too, that they are just not willing to let go of, that they are just not willing to refuse. And even though it's like they know the truth, they're not giving those things up. You know, yeah, fine, I, I, I get it. Salvation is not a works, but I'm not giving up Catholicism. That's just part of my life. I'm going to keep doing that, going to that priest. I'm going to keep taking that communion. I'm going to keep doing all that stuff because it's tradition. It's my, you know, my family. And my family will all be mad at me if I give all that stuff up. And let me tell you, you say, well, you're saying they got to repent of your sins. I'm not saying that all, but I will say this. There is no way that a person who is saved is going to be able to enjoy doing, you know, Catholic stuff, you know, and doing the kind of stuff that he did. You are not going to be able to do that in good conscience. You are not going to be able to enjoy that anymore. And that's the same thing, too, where the Bible talks about men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You know, when you know that God is not pleased with some of these things and he's going to judge the world for these things, you can't enjoy that sin like you used to. It's just not, it's just not going to work. And let me tell you, I do. We can't, you know, I, can, I can't see your heart. I can only see your works. But let me tell you, when a Christian gets saved... And they just want to continue being wicked. I wonder if they're saved. Thankfully, you're not going to stand before me on Judgment Day. But you know what? I rightfully wonder because I don't know how a saved person could enjoy doing that kind of thing. That that doesn't make any sense at all. And you know, and so uh, says. And after or verse 26, so Felix says he hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul that he might lose him. Wherefore, he sent for him the oftener and communed with him. So he was kind of hoping somebody was going to like pay him off. So he's still, he's still greedy. He's still got some real problems. But notice, though, that he's more oftener, is the word that it used, is, uh, is communing with him. And so for, based for two years, Felix is regularly communicating with Paul. Think about that. Two years he had the Apostle Paul at his disposal, and he never got saved. Okay? Now, folks... You know, you have the Apostle Paul, you know, at your disposal, and you're communicating with regularly for two years, and you don't get saved. 
because of, you're trying to hang on to power, you're trying to hang on to money, trying to hang on to all, political position, all these things. At that point, you have become a reprobate. You are exactly what the Bible explains when it's talking about reprobate. This guy knew the truth. And so, watch this. After two years, Portius Festus came into Felix's room, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. So, all of a sudden now, Festus is about to come and take over as the governor of that region. And I don't know where uh, Felix was going to go right after that. Sounds like he went to Italy uh, from what we were talking about before church. I'll say something about that here in a little bit. But um, there's about to change. You know, the leadership is about to change here. And so trying to impress the Jews, still scared of the Jews. Here they are two years later. He's been able to stall them off. And what does he do? He leaves them bound just because he probably treated Paul really good during those two years while he was there. And that would have made the Jews mad if they'd have seen him, you know, looking happy and healthy and clean and all that. So like, let's bind him up. So they think he's been in the dungeon, you know, for the last two years. Just, just guy's a coward. It's just an ab- absolute coward. And basically it leaves it there. And then, uh, all these chapters just kind of abruptly end, you know, in the middle of the story. But here we're introduced to Festus. Okay. And Festus, is just another, you know, wicked puppet of Rome. That was who, that was who they had over all these regions, just wicked puppets that would do Rome's bidding, that they didn't have to worry worry about. They mainly just needed people there to help keep the peace. That's just kind of your job. Listen, we don't really care about those people, but at the same time, you know, we need peace in that region. We need them leaving us alone. Just keep everybody happy. We don't really care if they're, you know, we don't, they don't, they didn't care about morality or anything like that. And that, I'm telling you, that's why the Romans cared as much as they did about law. It wasn't because they just loved God and were trying to please him. It wasn't just because they loved justice. It's because they were smart enough to understand that without laws, you cannot survive as a society. You can't do it. And I believe that's one of the reasons our founding fathers did a lot of things good when they started our country, even if they weren't saved, without a doubt, they wanted to set up a nation that would last. They wanted to set up a nation where there would be freedom, where there would be prosperity. They wanted a nation that had all of those things. And so they, I think what they put together was really good. And as, as far as where people can uh, thrive, where you can have religious freedom, all those things, and I think we've benefited from it greatly. And so Felix, uh, it was interesting because Brother Jerry, he was talking about that he was uh, this uh, earthquake he was reading about in Italy that happened a long time ago. But we were talking about Pompeii, and apparently Felix's wife um, died in that whole big thing that happened in what was that 79, eight, yeah, in, in 79 AD. So not super long after that, according to history, Felix died of some disease. They think it was probably something like tuberculosis or something. A lot of people was dying of them, but also their son died in there too. And so it would appear from history, Felix never got saved. And not only that, it looks like they ended up in a city that was super wicked. I mean, Pompeii was known for just, you know, sexual perversion. Like you wouldn't believe. I mean, it, everything history says about that place. It's like Romans one. It was like a place full of reprobates. And I, I believe God destroyed that city. 
because of its wickedness. And you know what? I mean, it literally fire and brimstone rained on that place. It was from a volcano. But at the same time, God destroyed that place. And you know what? His family went down with it. And I believe it's because he had every opportunity in the world to get saved, to do things right. Yes, he definitely would have suffered if he would have done the right thing then. He would have lost his power. He probably would have just gotten killed. I'll, I'll bet he would have died real quick. But you know what? Instead, he just died a few years later of a sickness. And his wife and son uh, you know, were killed basically by God. So uh, he gained nothing. He gained absolutely nothing from that. But you know what? The devil's good at deceiving people with temporal things. And boy, he didn't give him much time at all. He, he made a deal with the devil, and it was not a good one at all. So literally... Everyone who we're going to see, Paul, who, uh, everybody that Paul would stand before, they were always convinced he wasn't a bad guy. But in order to keep the Jews happy, they would just kind of kick the can down the road. And it is. That's, that's for just chapter after chapter, it's just some kicking the can down the road. He ends up appealing to Caesar. They send him off to Rome. But ultimately, they were doing this because he was. He was a really big deal. And things were tense in Jerusalem. And so all of this foolishness that was going on, it was just trying to keep the mobs happy. And folks, that is what we're seeing going on in our country today. Is our country right now, it is, it's getting more and more divided across the board. And a lot of the foolishness that we are seeing, it, a lot of it is because we have wicked people that are pushing super wicked agendas. But then at the same time too, We've got a lot of people that they're they're just kind of spineless. They're kind of like that. We have I think we have a lot of Felixes running our government government right now, where I think they would like to do right. I think they would even like to be a Christian. I think they're I think they like you know good moral people like Christians, but they also understand if they were to do the right thing and to actually get on board with this stuff that they would be done for politically. And so you know what they do? They appease the left all the time. Listen, if, you know, I, I don't know, I, I think we're to the point now where this might not be the case, but, you know, I just, I have a hard time believing most Republicans really are okay with homos. Maybe they are by now. But listen, there was a time when even Democrats weren't okay with them. But the thing is, even if they don't like them, do you think they're going to do anything about it? Listen, even Darren Bailey, who, you know, was so much better than Pritzker, he was talking really weak in the end against abortion. It was just like, come on, man. I, I really would love to see somebody just fight abortion. And I know Darren Bailey does not like abortion. I, I, I know that. He's, he's, he's got a record of that. But he was being awful weak and quiet about that. And you know what? I never heard him say anything about homos. You, you won't convince me he's, he likes homos. But yet, he was kind of being soft uh, when, when it came to a lot of that stuff. That's who a lot of our leaders are today. And you know what? They're going to get what's coming to them too. These Republicans that are in there being pansies on this stuff and that are doing things in favor of homos and everything, you know what? They're going to be like Felix. And you know what? While... Even if they're not a full-blown reprobate themselves, you know what? Their descendants are going to end up getting destroyed in the country that they're going to leave them. So there's a lot of great lessons 
that you can learn from these things. A lot of good comparisons there, but we'll end it right there uh, as Paul's getting ready to stand before Festus and just going from one thing to another, uh, trying to get accused. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I just pray this message was a help to everyone, and I pray, Lord, you'll help us to uh, learn the lessons from it, that, uh, Lord, help us never get caught up in a mob mentality like we see so much of in this country. I pray, Lord, that you'll uh, give us better leaders. We feel like we have a lot of Felixes out there and Herods and people like them, but, Lord, I pray you'll uh, just help us while we live in this wicked world to try to be like Paul and to be a light and to try to reach as many people as we can for you until you return. In your name we pray. Amen.